then we will move forward on to Judges. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Joshua here at the very beginning because it relates to Judges. Because the, the book of Joshua was full of great successes. The tribes of Israel had, had been unified under strong leadership, which was great. And they successfully conquered parts of the promised land as they came into uh, the promised land. And then, you know, although Joshua records, you know, some lapses in, in judgment, I mean, chapter 7 with Achan's sin, uh, the book emphasizes Israel's success in taking the land. Um, but this period of great national <laughs> victory was very short-lived because it followed by, you know, it was followed by a longer period in which Israel seems to lose its moral compass lose its ability to understand uh, what God wanted from them. And, I mean, this period was approximately 200 years. And Israel continually sinned against God and broke His covenant over and over and over during these 200 years. Uh, the chosen people seemed to forget uh, that God uh, uh, basically said, you are forbidden to take the Canaanite gods. You were forbidden to, to intermarry into their religion, uh, into their families. Uh, so they, they embraced <laughs> the, the forbidden Canaanite religion and made them into their gods in many ways, uh, where they would go to temple and worship God, but then they would come home and worship Baal, or they would come home and worship this idol or that idol. Uh, and uh, they really um, lost the ability to defend themselves from these enemy nations because of it. And they, they really lacked a, a strong national leadership. And we see this being said in Judges 17 and Judges 21, this unwillingness to trust God because the nation was morally bankrupt. And they really could care less about their state of affairs. I don't know if you, I mean, the United States, the misnomer is we're a Christian nation. We're not a Christian nation. There were some Christians that were part of the founding fathers um, that set part of God as our like foundational basis, but we are not a Christian nation per se. Israel, on the other hand, was a Christian nation, and they... Uh, uh, well, I say Christian nation, godly nation, because they weren't Christian at that point, because Christ hadn't been introduced, of course. But they were a godly nation. They were based upon God and His laws and His ways, and they started ignoring those things. And uh, uh, they basically um, forgot that God said, I'm going to bless you if you kept His ways. You kept my ways, I'll bless you. You go against my ways, it's going to be harder for you because of your sin. So two Old Testament historical books cover this period, Judges and Ruth. And let me go ahead and put up that first slide. So we're right here with Judges and Ruth before we get into all the kings. Next week, uh, Ruth is one of my favorite uh, uh, Bibles. Boaz is my favorite historical um, character. If my wife would have let me, I would have named one of my kids Boaz. But Lisa looked at me and said, there's no way we're doing it in this day and age. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I, you know, I got on the good side of uh, one of my history teachers, uh, my uh, Old Testament uh, Bible teacher, 
when they ask what was our favorite Old Testament character. And, you know, everybody was like, oh, David or Abraham or this or that or, or Deborah for some of the women and stuff like that. And I said, Boaz and the kids in the class. Cause I say kids because I went back to get my Bible degree before I went on to seminary. So I was in there with people 10 years younger than me. So anybody 10 years younger is a kid, right? Some of you consider me a kid. Okay. Um, so, you know, the kids were confused. They're like, who's Boaz? <laughs> you know, they didn't even know who it was. And my teacher was like, yeah, I like that. And we became good friends. Uh, a phenomenal Old Testament history uh, teacher. But Boaz is a good dog's name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a wonderful dog name. I'm sure he would be very pleased as we get to the heaven to say, yeah, I named a dog after you. <laughs> I'm joking. So the expression, <coughs> the expression um, happens over and over through this book. In those days, Israel had no king. Okay, so part of this is the and we'll talk about this a little later, but the author, we think, was writing during the days of the kings and he was writing the history of the judges at that point, uh, trying to tell them, trying to reiterate them uh, to Israelites about following the Lord. But it keeps keeps saying in those days they had no king. Um, So that perspective came from a a vantage point of a monarchy um, and liking the monarchy. And the the book uh, really, it doesn't tell us who wrote um, the book of Judges. Uh, so we don't really know, but the central character are judges. Now, when we say judge, we think of who, you know, Supreme Court or something like that, right? We think of the guy in the robe up front and he's got the gavel and you be quiet in my courtroom. I run this place. That is not what the word judge meant back then. Um, Oftentimes they were a charismatic military leader for Israel who God raised up to empower for specific task of deliverance in order to restore justice, okay? And I'll show you the cycle that happens over and over through the book of Judges over these 200 years. But the office implied, you know, governing in a broad sense. Um, The 12 judges uh, were local and national heroes. There was about 17 of them, but 12 of them really became local or national heroes who became, you know, military leaders endowed by God to, to lead the nation on to victory for a particular time against particular enemy nations. But after the military threat was over, the judges generally continued in that leadership role, uh, though none of them established a royal dynasty. None of them tried to uh, become kings or all that kind of stuff, except for one, uh, which was Abimelech, but he was eventually stopped uh, on that. So the book of Judges is really broken up into to three different sections, but really not really three, just more of a, uh, the first section is more of an intro uh, on slide three here. Uh, it's the incomplete conquest. Uh, in other words, they get into the book of Judges and it explains, look, these guys got into the land. They were supposed to go out there and, and drive all the people that are ungodly out of the land. And they didn't do that. Then what it does, it leads to um, really the first big section, which was the covenant disobedience and judgment. 
and it shows this pattern of dis- disobedience and the pattern illustrated history, uh, and it's illustrated through all the history of the judges. And we'll talk about that pattern here in a second. Um, but it, it, it's, uh, you know, this, it goes all the way from the death of Joshua to the rise of Samuel. And then you have the collapse of society. So this second section is intermingled with the first section. So it's not chronological order. So if you read the book of Judges, it's not going to be in chronological orders. The second half basically says, it talks about the breakdown of religious life um, and, and talk about idols and different stuff and the breakdown of justice and civil order. And it says multiple times the people did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, and again, we'll talk about that here in a second, too, because uh, it seems like we're at that point where people just do what they think is right in their own eyes. There is no moral absolutes when it comes to society at this point. Uh, hence why um, people can go out and loot and rob and other people just go, well, they deserve that stuff. So therefore, we should allow them to do that when they don't deserve that stuff, not in that way. Um, when we start saying that this person can be prosecuted for this, but that person shouldn't be prosecuted for this, you know, the, in other words, we, we need a foundation of what is right, what is wrong, uh, and those moral absolutes. So we'll talk a little bit about that too uh, at the very end. But the book opens with the phrase, after the death of Joshua. This bears an important historical and theological function for Israel because it both marks the end of the previous administration. In other words, the previous thing with Joshua and the success under Joshua and the beginning of a new era under, you know, uh, under the judges in Israel's history. It's really uh, a contrast to the conquest of occupation of the land, the promised land, and the new period with the judges in time of disobedience and failure. And the introductory kind of gives uh, more details about the nature of the conquest. Joshua in- emphasizes, uh, or Joshua emphasized uh, a unified Israel invading the promised land and conquering that. Uh, and that was the appropriate purpose for that book. But Joshua also made frequent references to the need of the Israelites to drive out the evil that was in the land. We see this in Joshua 13, Joshua 16, Joshua 17, Joshua uh, uh, 18. (laughs) I mean, it just all through the book of Joshua, basically. Um, So the book of Joshua presented a great uh, picture of military victory, but an incomplete conquest. Uh, This is kind of like our lives, right? We'll have great victories that God will bring us through something, and then we will backtrack. We will, we will not complete the actions, you know. God cleans up a mess, but we haven't decided to help God or be along with God or use the Holy Spirit to move out the things that are affecting us. You know what I'm saying? God saves us from the sin, saves us from the consequence of that sin, yet we continually go back and continue that same sin. It's kind of the same thing about you know, taking out the people. So Joshua's one, uh, Joshua 1, 1 through 2, 5 describes the, the limited success of the individual tribes. Uh, Judah and Simeon uh, experienced, you know, measured success initially, but they didn't drive out the inhabitants of the land either. 
Um, several other tribes were unable to gain, uh, gain any victory uh, over the Canaanites. Uh, and really the intro kind of prepares the reader and us for the rest of the judges by informing us that the Israelites live side by side with the Canaanites. And you live side by side with the Canaanites, you end up doing what the Canaanites are doing, and it influences your culture and your way of living. So the beginning of chapter 2 confirms that Israel basically is disobedient, and individual tribes have compromised with the inhabitants of the land, you know, with those that are living there, and now the conquest is incomplete. The remaining Canaanites in the leg uh, will plague their future over and over and over. So then we get to the main body of the stories, the covenant disobedience and the judgments. Israel's failure to complete the conquest will result of, uh, was a result of the covenant disobedience and the conquest that was not completed. And the, the central section of this shows us this failure. Um, and we'll find out that it's not a rare thing. It happens over and over, and it's because of their lack of faith. And I see that today also. You know, God, God uh, gives us a victory, and then as soon as that victory is over, we stop, uh, we stop trusting in the Lord, and our faith wanes because of that. Um, so the section also has its own introduction, the central section. The author prepares, the, uh, prepares us for the judges uh, by introducing three basic and general facts. First, Joshua's generation was now dead. Okay, that's a basic fact. And the new generation has rejected Yahweh. The Israelites were rejecting Yahweh. And this is like chapter 2, starting in verse 6 is right in there. The new generation worshiped the Canaanite gods instead of the Lord, who led them out of Egypt. So the Lord became angry and allowed the enemies to affect Israel. Okay, um, they worshiped. Uh, one of the worships w was the god uh, um, Molech, and that means firstborn would be, you know, I don't want to say it, little ears over here, but firstborn. So, Brandon, you would be, because we would sacrifice you to the god Molech. How's that? We want to go back to those days? No, you know. But Israel started doing that kind of stuff, okay? Um, Roe versus Wade, that was you know today i mean how many how many people have we sacrificed in the name of certain things in our society um you know along those lines and i'll leave that kind of alone just because of the young years over here but but second thing whenever the people repented the lord raised up a judge to deliver them a leader so think of the judge as being a leader um also uh, but after the judge dies, Israel would lapse back into sin and idolatry, worshiping other gods. And then the third thing is because of their failure to complete the conquest, because of their failure to do the things that God asked them to do, the Israelites now lived among the other nations in the promised land. And these nations were a military threat along with a theological threat to them because Israel would accept many of the pagan beliefs, and they had to fight those guys because they were now in the same land. Um, so here's kind of a chart to show uh, what happens over and over. 
So the first thing, um, I think this is chart number four or uh, slide number four. Um, the first thing, or maybe it's five. The first thing is uh, the, the people fall, fall into sin and idolatry. And then God gets angry, you know, because he's a jealous God. And then he goes on to God allows oppression by their enemies against them. The people, you know, freak out, of course, right? You start getting attacked. You start crying out. They finally realize, God, why is this happening? And then God goes, oh, because of your sin. And they say, okay, well, we repent, which is a great and wonderful thing. Okay, repentance is always good. Then salvation comes through a person that's brought up to relieve them and to fight against their oppressors. Then peace comes because of that. They have a time of peace. The judge dies. And then they fall back into the same sin and idolatry. The next generation usually does that. So we can see how this, this happens. Sin and the Israelites, uh, uh, you know, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then what happens is war is judgment. The Lord sold them into the hands of blank. Um, and you will see this over and over through the book where it says the Lord sold them into or gave them over into the hands of and you could put down whatever enemy was there because there was multiple any enemies. There was the Midianites, there was the Canaanites, there was a whole bunch of enemies there that could fight against them. And, the, you know, for X number of years and then the repentance comes and the Lord, you know, gives them deliverance. He raises up a deliverer and and, you know, insert the name of a judge who saves them. And this is usually followed by a statement that the land was at peace for so many years while the judge was alive. So although the author will use several different variances of, of this cycle, it's the same basic cycle. We have, uh, you know, Athenial, uh, Ehud, and Deborah, and Gibeon, and uh, Je uh, Jepheth, I can't even say his name, uh, Samson. And, and you'll recognize some of those names, Samson, of course. But in addition to the six major, you know, judges, the author gives few details about six minor judges. And uh, what, Shamgar, and Tola, and Jr and Is, uh, yeah, you can read them. Um, but I, I want to point out, these judges aren't presented as holy, holier than thou, or just holy individuals, exemplary individuals. They were temporary leaders raised up by the Lord to deliver his people. Some are worthy of copying. You have Deborah, which is a wonderful judge. You have Athenial, that was great. Um, but uh, Jephthah, Jephthah, if you want to, however you want to pronounce that, he is not one that we should, you know, follow. <laughs> He's not one that exemplifies uh, following the Lord, Yahweh at all. Uh, Samson's faults are, are, are known. Uh, Samson, you know, great faith, but major failures at the same time as you read that, right? Uh, I don't know what else you would call it. So as a rule, these judges illustrate God's grace and mercy for his people but not necessarily great examples of devotion to God, okay? And why does God use imperfect people? I don't know, but I'm glad he does because God uses me, and I'm imperfect too. But God uses imperfect people to do his will, his bidding. 
So we have to be careful sometimes. I mean, there's times when we have to say, okay, that is not a godly leader and we should not follow them or we should say something about that. There are times when we need to do that. But there are other times when we go, okay, their actions are godly, but they're also a man, they're also a woman and, and they have faults. You know, don't hold me up to the point where I have to be perfect because I'm going to fail you every time because I'm not perfect. Uh, you know, I'm not a perfect leader. I'm not a perfect father. I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect anything. Just like you're not perfect. We are all, we all have our failings, but we should, stri- is the person striving to do the work of the Lord or not? That's one of the things that we need to, and, and I'm not saying, we need to judge people in the sense of, are they godly? Are they going toward the Lord? So, I mean, it's a fine line between those two. And we've talked about judging. There's a difference between judging a person's actions and judging a person to hell, right? We've talked about that multiple times. It's not my job to say that that person is going to hell. That is God's job. I can say they're not following the Lord and their actions say that they're not a, a, you know, a, a, a Lord follower, you know, a Christ follower. I can say that, but I don't go and say you are going to hell. That is God's job to do that. I can say you're not going to end up in heaven you know, I can say you're on the path to hell, but I don't judge them to that. Um, so we, we have to be careful on that. So they're, they're not holy individuals uh, per se. And the last five chapters of Judges portray an age of uh, basically anarchy and lawlessness. Have we seen any anarchy and lawlessness here in the United States? Not at all. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it depends on what channel you watch. That's right. Um, I mean, there's two terrible examples of the darkest moments in Israel history that's shown in, in you know, chapter 17 and 18, the Micah and the migration of Dan and what happens there. And, and the, the Levites, uh, the concubines, you can read that about in chapter uh, 19 and, and the, what happened there in that war. But uh, we'll read of idolatry, conspiracy, senseless violence, among many other things that go even worse than that. We have idolatry, we have conspiracy, we have senseless violence, and we have many other things that are going on in our world today, right? Yeah, because the world's not following the Lord. And, uh, and we don't expect the United States to follow the Lord individuals should follow the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Because in the middle of all this junk that's going on, all this terrible stuff going on, you have the story of Ruth, right? A woman who makes the right decisions and does things the right way, and a man who is not married to her making the right decisions and doing things the right way. I mean, that's an awesome story. It's a great, wonderful story. In the middle of all this lawlessness and all this Everybody does what they think is right in their own eyes. And then you have Ruth and Boaz making decisions that are right because this is what the Lord commands them to do, which is a really uh, cool story. It should uh, you know, inspire us to do what's right in the middle of all this craziness of this world. And I hope I had it on mute. I mean, I had it on do not disturb and then look. decline now the question is is it muted no okay i hope they can still hear me if you cannot hear me wave your hand okay (laughs) 
<laughs> How are they going to know? If you see them waving, let me know. Um, but I'm confused because we put it on do not disturb. Okay, good. Okay, good. Oh, man. But we'll see the repeated phrase in chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19, and chapter 21. Everyone did uh, what was right in their own eyes. And in those days, Israel had no king. Implying the author really believed one of the reasons why Israel keeps doing this pattern was they had no leader. And God even warned them what a king type leader will do. And they still wanted them. And God was saying, if you follow the judges and do what's right, then this is a good system. But if you're not going to follow the judges, I'll give you a king. And this is what the king will do. And we'll go into that once we hit first Samuel. Um, but he, you know, the, the author obviously supported a monarchy and want, and believed that that was God's instrument in providing strong leadership and security and peace in the land. And you have all these judges. If you, um, well, I'll get to it in a second. I'll, I'm jumping ahead and I shouldn't. Um, so he obviously supported the monarchy. And like the introduction, these chapters show that Israel's failure to live in a covenant relationship with God. They failed to, to you know, follow the foundation that God put out for them. And this looks back and compares the judges period to the previous period in the book of Joshua. And these narratives look forward to the time of the monarchy when the line of David uh, would provide peace and security. So the author has this, you know, perspective and considers the, the chaos and the moral crisis of the nation as a result of an absence of a king. So you kind of have to read the book of Judges with that in mind. Now, the cry of this section was there was no king in Israel, and it warns the anarchy that results because there's no firm leadership. And we see this within, within homes, don't we? When a, when, a, when a home doesn't have a good leadership within a home, and it just falls apart. We see this within companies. We see this in businesses. We see this in, in multiple different areas where there's not good. We see this in nations where there's not good leadership and things just kind of fall apart. Um, but these narratives are different from the central section of the book because the problem has a different source. In chapter 2, all the way through chapter 16, Israel was afflicted by these external enemies who oppressed them militarily. So you had this internal, I mean, external stuff. Chapter 17 through 21, the problems are internal. So I think I said that wrong to begin with. Basically, the, the first part is all the external pressures on them, right? But the second part is all about internal pressure. The internal pressure of not following God and not making good uh, choices. Basically, Israel becomes its worst enemy. Have you ever been a time when you've been your worst enemy in your life? And you're sitting there going, oh, I wondered I do, you know, you know. But the, the author of Judges laments the fact that all the people did what was right in their own eyes, which was usually wrong in God's eyes, right? Yeah. So the repeated statement in 17 and 21 recognizes the need um, for absolute order in society because morality is not relative to one's experience. There must be an external standard that determines right and wrong in our human ethics, right? I would say that. 
Um, you know, uh, for the author of Judges, the external standard for Israel and their society was maintained or should be maintained by the Israelite king. And, we, it, it, and that's what they wanted. Um, for a Christian, an external absolute is still necessary because humans are not, a, you know, not capable of establishing their own moral standards, right? Because my moral standard and your moral standard may be two completely different things. And we're seeing that today, you know, in front of the Supreme Court being fought out. What is the moral standard for, for Roe versus Wade and all those issues that go along with that? And that was one of the questions, the judge's per, uh, you know, perspective. Is this only coming from a religious perspective? What is the moral standard? That was the question. And for a Christian, because we're not capable of establishing a firm moral standard, the external standard is still established and maintained by the eternal heavenly king. We see this in, in 1 John 4, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Plain and simple. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, it's a struggle every day to do that. We, I understand that. There's sin. But are we going that direction? Are we, going, are, are we more often keeping God's commands than the not that's the goal is to go toward god not away from god because more relativism in modern culture uh, this is what this book kind of warns us against it's behavior based on human opinions and everybody has a different opinion even within the church on on things that should be foundational issues we still have opinions because they're emotional opinions when they should be on the foundation of God. Because the Bible teaches us the standards for human behavior. And they're God-given. This is why we say one man and one woman. They leave their father and mother. They get married. That's why we don't have the multiple wives, multiple husbands, or whatever. Uh, you know, I was watching, a, uh, I saw a little show today, and, and I was just kind of, cracking up because the show portrayed one person was fixing to move so they hooked up uh, through the show they kind of had this this flirty relationship and then one person was fixing to move off you know to a, a different going to the pentagon or whatever you know across the country it was uh what's the hawaii one of the hawaii shows uh ncis hawaii Okay, anything to do with Hawaii, I'm going to watch for the most part, um, for the most part. But, uh, you know, it, it, I was just thinking that's the world. They waited to hook up until the night before he leaves to go to the Pentagon and she stays there in Hawaii. And I'm like, and they all presented as it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I'm like going, that's what's wrong. That's not my foundation. That's not what my uh, morals say, because my morals come from the Lord. Uh, you know, left alone, humans will fail with these standards, right? We will fail over and over. And we can learn God's will and be, uh, you know, on the, on the righteous path if we allow it to, which is what Psalms says. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. What are we thinking about? Are we thinking about God and His ways or not? So in contrast to the Bible, 
modern culture often you know, establishes these societal standards. Uh, this behavior, it's based on majority opinion, right? The majority opinion. Does majority opinions change? Absolutely. Quite often, don't they? I mean, from the 70s until now. From the 50s to the 70s. From the 1800s into the 50s. It all changes, right? Yeah, from the founding of our country until now. They say, oh, well, this wasn't what they meant. And it's like, well, no, they lived that way. Yes, it was what they meant as they wrote it. But no, 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 you know. I mean, for example, before 1973, abortion was legal in the United States or illegal in the United States, implying that it was morally wrong in the American culture. And now it's legal. And, you know, they have that argument today. But, but what really changed? Did some wrong or sinful action suddenly become acceptable just because a powerful group said it's now acceptable? Hmm. Did, did universal truths that previously made that wrong suddenly change? No. American society changed. So God's moral standards never change. Our human culture changes, but God's requirements of righteousness doesn't change. His holiness never changes. He values life. That's why he told them, no, you're not going to go sacrifice to the God Molech. You're not going to do those things because I value life. And we've just changed the, uh, we've changed the God that we're sacrificing to. And we just called it a, by a different name. So um, the specific application of these requirements uh, must be thought through carefully by each generation of Christians. Basically, each generation has to go, am I going to follow the Lord or am I going to go my own way? And we see that happen all the time because absolute standards of holiness that Christians must revere is better and more than human relativism. Okay, it's, you know, uh, the, it just i think you get my point i'll just leave it there but let me let me mention one discrepancy that non-believers like to bring up okay when it comes to the book of judges the book of judges is more concerned about covenant faithfulness and the lack thereof okay that's the whole point of the book than historical details and what i mean by this is if you add up all the years of the judges it comes out to be something like 410 years. But it only covers a 200-year period. Now, we would all go, well, you know, the non-Christian would go, well, that just doesn't make sense. That doesn't add up. That, so, therefore, this is just wrong. But that's assuming that these judges weren't in different parts of the country dealing with stuff at the same time. You see what I'm saying? Think of these. They just come came over from from Jordan across, uh, you know, the river and they conquered the land. What, how is their society set up at this point? Clan. It's a clan society. It's the 12 tribes. It's a tribal society. I'm from the tribe of Dan. I'm from the tribe of this. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm from the tribe of so-and-so. That's how they identified themselves. <clears throat> so therefore, there was no centralized government whatsoever. So 
Some of these judges, some would be in the north dealing with stuff. Some would be in the south dealing with stuff. Some would be over here dealing with stuff. So you had several judges about the same time. So that's why you can't sit there and go, let me just add up the years. Oh, wait, this doesn't make sense. This is wrong. Therefore, the whole Bible is wrong. You know, they're, they're looking at it from the standpoint of trying to prove something wrong, but there was no centralized government. So I, I wanted to mention that if you kind of looked at some of the years um, I want to say there was 17 judges, but maybe I'm wrong on that. I looked it up and I had it in my other notes and I don't have it in these notes. So, but there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of different judges. Some of them were, were, were powerful and some of them, you know, affected the whole nation. Some of them were little bitty judges that we hardly know anything about, but we do know the same enemies were around over and over and over as the same enemies that we deal with today. Okay, same enemy, the devil is still around today, employs the same thing. Let's distract people from the things of God and the things of God are the foundational things that he set up for us to believe. Right. And if we don't go that direction, we go to the direction of the world, which is never a great thing because that always takes us away from God. So that is it for tonight, unless you have any questions. Going once, going twice. Sold. Okay, well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this book. We thank you for the understanding that sin uh, distracts us from you, that uh, we need saving. You've sent the ultimate Savior for us, and that is Jesus Christ. And we pray that we can look at how you want us to live and that we may follow you all the days of our life like many others did. Help us not get distracted. Help us not get beat down. Save us when we need to be saving, uh, saved, Lord, and, and get us back on the track of following your ways. In your loving name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.